Hey everyone, it's good to have you here. We're glad you decided to tune in for this episode of the Awesome to Know podcast. Hello, Brian. So I would like to start this this conversation because um, you are a CTO of WordPress VIP. And my, my first question that pops to my mind is being a CTO, is it more art or a science? That's funny. So, so it is whatever the person in the seat makes it be. Uh, I am, uh, I would say I'm equal parts art and science. That's a funny question that I was not expecting, by the way. It's a very good question because I've, I've thought about this for a long time. Uh, I, when I was a, a child, I thought I was going to be a comic book artist and draw superheroes all day long. And I thought I was going to have a career in art. And my, my father said a career in art means you'll never own a house <laughs> and have a family. Oh, that, and be that's able to interesting. Okay. So, so, right. So don't, don't do that. He said, you have to have a, a science career, you know, don't, don't go to college and get an art degree. Anyone can draw, right. Go to college and get an engineering degree. So I ended up getting a, like a physics and astronomy degree. So I ended up doing a lot of science. And I would say that one thing I noticed about myself early on was if I was competing against pure creative people, people who were artists, right? I would use my technical skills, computer skills. It was very early on in, you know, in the, in the 90s in, uh, in, you know, people weren't using a lot of computers in art. So if I had to compete with somebody who was technical, who was creative, I would bring my technical skills. And if I had to compete with somebody who was technical, I guarantee you I would build a better looking product than them. I would make something that was prettier. I'd make something that people liked more. So I was never a 10 technically or a 10 in terms of creativity, right? But I, on a good day, I was an eight in both. And somebody I was competing with might be a 10 technically, but a two creatively or a 10 creatively and a three technically. And so I would always use the other part. So, so to me, you ask, is my job art or science? It's a lot of both. It's a lot of talking to customers. It's a lot of listening. It's a lot of um, design thinking, right? Thinking problem solving really is problem solving technical or is problem solving creative? It's both. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's, it's a lot yeah. of problem solving. I'd, I'd say equal parts of both. So I like that. But I think a lot of people will bring technical only to a role or creative only to a role. And I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm incapable of doing that. All right. I, I'm, from what I'm hearing here, um, uh, you bring together both best of both worlds, right? I, I hope like, just like the, the Renaissance man, that whole idea of like, you know, Da Vinci was like an artist and a scientist, right? I'm not Da Vinci, but that's, that's what I, that's what I aspire to. Sure, mm -hmm. but 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 still, you you pursued career of, you know, within the technology space, you know, very very going very very deep. And uh, listening to to your answer, like initially, I I have I have this feeling that you described yourself self as a very strong generalist, combining this art approach, you know, your your personal. Um, uh, like aspirations with what you learned and and the path you pursued. So maybe digging a little bit deeper, would you say you're like a generalist on a technical position or, 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 or you are already that specialist that, you know, went very deep and now going uh, upper on that on that tree, looking from the higher and higher perspective? Sure. You know, how, how would you yeah. comment on this? Yeah, so it's a good question uh, to go deeper on. It's, it's, it's again, it's funny um, it, when you say, "Oh, you're, you know, you're very, very technical and you're very strong technically." So, how does this all work out? It, I think the proof is if you put me in a room full of uh, developers that work for me, they'll, they'll say he's not technical at all. You know, he's barely technical. So, so you know, it, it's, it, that's a funny thing. And if you put me in a room full of artists, they'll say, "Yeah, you know, 
uh, I don't know if that person's any good at art, you know, and I hope that's not your day job, right? I actually got told that in college, the way somebody was like, I hope you're not planning on doing this for a career, which is funny. But what I've done is, you know, is, is in both. I mean, um, it's, at the end of the day, it's problem solving. So it really is problem solving. So what I learned in all the, the physics and astronomy classes is that I, I don't remember how quasars work or how to find the temperature of a star based on the color or the whatever. The, I, I just, I, I don't remember any of that. What I remember is, or, you know, at some point they said, look, there's a lot of things you're going to need to solve. There are five or six ways to do it. I'd like to see you solve it and then defend how you solved it. Tell me how you arrived at this conclusion. Which of these four or five formulas did you use? And say, like, this is how I think this is going to play out. And so it was all about problem solving, knowing that you you don't know anything. Like, the, the further you get into, a, you know, a science degree, the more you understand that you can spend the next 70 years studying just this one type of thing and you will still not be the world's biggest expert at it or maybe you will but you know nothing else so i don't know um i would i would say i probably haven't gone deep enough in anything i just assimilate things along the way and so that's that's my i don't know if it's a you know skill gift curse whatever you want to call it but but it's what i do so so i i, I would tell you in a room full we just had this big big meetup with um, a bunch of product teams i would tell you I'm, i might be the least technical person in the room in terms of get on a keyboard and go code something. But I did that in the past. I, you know, effectively retired from that. You think of it, it's, it's more like I'm a coach, not a player. And so is the coach, you know, is he the smartest one in the room or not the smartest one in the room? I don't know. It depends. It depends on the output. So, yeah. Good I, I, on the note, you, you mentioned being in that room and, and, and having people working for you. I wonder, you know, how, how does the work look for you i mean what what this position um like encompass you know what does it mean to be a cto because you know developer it's like you know self-explanatory but cto there is so there is you know so much uh, less ctos around the world than developers but also they vary very dramatically across different companies different cultures you know product versus service companies and so on so i'm very curious you know What's your role and what's your objective as, as the CTO of Fortis VIP? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, it's funny as you as you mentioned that um, that uh, you know when you said there are more developers than uh, CTOs, and that makes sense, right? You wouldn't want to have more coaches in the world than players, right? That would be a that would be a terrible world to be in. That would be upside down. Um, so uh, that's it, it, it. It's a good question. Um, it's it, it's different. Each CTO is probably built differently. Each person in the role is built differently. So at some companies, you'll have a so you have an, you know you have an executive team run by a CEO, right? And in a two person startup, you may have a CEO and a CTO, and that's it. And really, they shouldn't even have a C title. They shouldn't be called C anything because it's a two person company. But then you get to you know we're, we're a three hundred person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? That's, that's all that is. Yeah, sure. Founder, like that, that's good enough. But um, but we're a three hundred person company within a 2000 person company, which is still not very big. Um, and we have a good executive team, right? We have a CEO who's fantastic. I've been a CTO in the past. I was a CEO for the last, I don't know, almost 20 years. And now I'm a CTO again. And I love the CEO, Nick, that I work for. Uh, he's fantastic. And so, but we also have this other team around me. So we have a chief revenue officer, a chief marketing officer uh, who just joined us. We have a chief customer officer, I think, uh, you know, or, or customer success officer, something like that. Um, so all these different people in all these associated roles. And so for me here in this situation, I'm the only technical person 
on the executive team or, you know, technical role on the executive team at a very software oriented company, right? So it's, it's almost like if I wasn't there, there'd be no technology leadership represented at the top, right? Uh, and so, so for that role, it's, it's a lot of different things, but it becomes, you know, it, some companies have, have an abundance of these technical roles. So they have a chief information officer and a chief product officer, and they have all these different people, somebody in charge of design. Um, we don't exactly have that. So I end up representing all of that in terms of figuring out what the business needs, taking what the business needs and taking it to the teams to make sure it gets built. So it's, it's probably a broader role than it would be at some places. In some places, a CTO is like your IT, make sure the exchange server gets the email delivered and make sure we don't get viruses on our laptops and make sure the printers work. And so CTO can be very IT based or here it's much more colorful and fun. Make sure some of the biggest and most popular websites on earth keep running no matter what happens to them, right? That's a different challenge. And then also in a lot of startups, you're out there selling your own product, you know, you're building your own thing. So I have a, I, I would say the most unique things about the role that I'm in now are that one, I didn't build the team and two, I didn't build the product. So in a traditional startup, my, even the last thing I did, I created this thing with my co-founder. We made a social video app and then we made a platform out of it and we built all these things. And I was constantly getting to, and even in previous uh, companies that I founded, I got to build tools that dazzled creators. I got to build the things that our end users used. And with VIP, we don't build WordPress. That's built by WordPress core. We can affect it. We can help it. We can contribute to it. But we don't have, you know, 70 people spending their time building WordPress. We have 70 people spending their time making sure that WordPress runs for the biggest, craziest websites, whatever you want to do, that it keeps running and that it's measured well and that all these things work, um, you know, and scale. So you build it, we scale it is kind of the motto, right? You build your craziest WordPress site, biggest database, biggest multi-site. That's all good. And then similarly on the team, I'd say this is probably, the, this has got to be the first time that I've inherited a team I didn't build. And so it's a different dynamic, right? Um, if I build a team and I take them from zero to six and then from six to 35, 35 to whatever, they, they all see me as like, oh, you're the guy who invented this and you're the guy that hired me. And it's a different relationship. And when you inherit the team, you get this thing, which I call um, stepdad syndrome, which is where uh, you're telling them what to do. And they're like, I don't have to listen to you. You're not my real dad. You know, like you didn't start this thing. You didn't build this product. You didn't hire me. And they don't say I, that. I, I'm longer here than you. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I've been here before. I was here before you, you know, and, and, and the stepdad thing is funny. Cause like, well, next year my mom's going to dump you and you're going to be gone. Like, like, and, and I was actually the third CTO in three years. So they, they, they rightfully had this, a bit of a mental model of like, you're the CTO du jour. You're going to be here for a year tops. And then you're going to be gone because two people came in and flamed out and didn't last. Or I don't, I don't even know their stories. I just know they didn't stay. And so if you look at that, you go, Oh, third CTO in three years. I don't know if we have to follow this. I don't know what this guy wants to do. Is he going to reorg? Is he going to, you know, change our roadmap? Is he going to introduce a lot of process? Like what stupid playbook is this guy bringing? Has got to be what they're thinking. And that's a valid thought, right? I'm just going to wait in a year, Brian will be gone. And so here I am a year and a half in, I'm not going anywhere. I'm having a great time and things have gelled and things are working really smoothly. So we've gotten past all of that, like stepdad syndrome that I I like to call it um, for me, you know, uh, where it's, you know, I didn't invent this team or create this team, build this team. I didn't invent the product, but now I've got my handle on like I, what parts of the product I love, what we can change, what we're here to do. And then specifically on the team, you know, how to, how to work with them because we have two radically different product teams 
that I work with. One is the Parsley Content Analytics team, and the other is the VIP, you know, the WordPress CMS platform hosting team. And they're built differently. One is a SaaS app, a single product. It's a beautiful dashboard. It's a single. It's a single thing. The other is a platform for hundreds and hundreds of giant businesses to run whatever they want for WordPress, and we just have to make sure it runs. So it's a definitely platform as a service, software as a service. Two different teams, but um, I'm loving both of them. Mm-hmm. So, how do you combine those two, like objectives for those two teams? Because you know. Um, It's so different, you know, hosting platform and SaaS platform. I know there is a lot of overlap, obviously, but, you know, or, or customer base or technology, like, uh, you know, a little bit of the technology underneath. But, you know, I I, I can hardly f- think of any other, you know, um, like 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 products from different worlds still within IT. I'm, I'm very curious, how, how, how do you manage those two very different organizations within one business? Yeah, it's 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 interesting to think about because if you think of someone like Salesforce, they constantly buy companies, and they fit into a bit of a plan. Like Salesforce knows where they're going and what they're missing, right? What they need to buy, what they need to fill in. Um, it's it's a bit of a trick because one of the reasons WordPress is so successful is because of the plugin model. Is because it doesn't try to do everything. It does this core this core bit of stuff really, really, really well. And specifically authoring, it is A plus. It is the best authoring experience you're going to have for building web content, right? Or you're for content, right? It's phenomenal. But what it doesn't say is how all these other pieces should work. So if you look at other DXPs, right? Suites of products. So so like an Adobe system or some other system may have like, it may have seven modules that you use. And they say, here's how authoring works. Here's how rendering works. Here's how personalization works. Here's how commerce works. Here's how whatever else, analytics, right? All these other things. And they want you to buy all seven pieces in the suite. So it's like the starting prices, you know, like now a million dollars plus because you have to buy the suite. It's going, you're going to have a better experience with their products. If you don't just try to buy one, you have to buy all of them. So it's a bigger commit for people. And that's what you're going to be sort of stuck with. So WordPress itself sort of works like the anti-DXP, which is we don't care what you do for analytics. We don't care what you do for search. We don't care what you do for all these other pieces. We're just going to do the core. And if you want to bring your own digital asset management platform, awesome. Look at it. Look at us. We're, we're based on plugins. Look how smoothly this is. And one of the, the craziest things that WordPress does really well, which I don't think people understand how hard it is, is to make an admin, WP admin, to make a CMS where all these crazy apps are living together in harmony and have it not suck. Because it could be very easy for you to drop in the Yoast SEO plugin and some other thing for this and like 10, 20 different things. And all of a sudden your CMS is like, um, you know, it's like a, you know, like Mad Max. It's like, it's crazy. Like you can't get around and it's terrible and it's dangerous. And they make it so that all of these things work together cooperatively. So you can build your own CMS that's perfect for your brand that does the eight things that you need and uses the solutions that you want. Now, VIP is sort of the the high-end version of that, right? If you have the biggest website, the most problems, the most scale, the most DDoS attacks, whatever your thing is, you come to us and we'll make this stuff run. Um, the only place where, where VIP has an opinion is they say, actually, hold on a second. If you're doing analytics, this, we think you should use Parsley and here's why. 
And Parsley is a good fit for at least half of our customers, especially media companies, people with a lot of traffic, big editorial teams, right? Big newsrooms, a lot of content, big volume of content. So we do have an opinion on that. So we're not, we're not, a, we're not a suite of things, but if you're doing analytics, we, the, the company, uh, you know, a year before I joined, made this big bet to acquire Parsley. Uh, brilliant product, brilliant founders, amazing team, amazing process. And said, said, said in general, bring, bring all the stuff you want. But if it's analytics around media, you're really going to want this product. This is the best one. So, so in terms of that, the platform you launch all your sites on and the analytics app that you use go hand in hand. And one thing I don't think people realized when they acquired it was, you know, we didn't acquire all the other eight things in a traditional suite, a personalization engine or digital asset management or any of these other kinds of things. We did acquire analytics and um, the teams don't work the same. The analytic, the, the Parsley team has its own process. We've ended up carrying that process over into the platform team. So the way that sprints, you know, iterations and interludes and all that work and the way that we build product, we've tried to blend them a bit, even though they're not the same kinds of things that we're doing. But I think where we're finally seeing this gel and blend together and really look back and go, wow, God, we were so smart to buy this company, right? Like we look back at this is around the places where the two products are working together tightly and, and around AI right now. So AI is the big hot topic. Everybody's talking about, uh, about this. And what we're learning is that we have one sort of exclusive set of data, right? The content. So we have, you know, whether it's the New York Post, Rolling Stone, White House, you know, all these different websites, we have their content. So we're able to do things. But if you see a million stories, a million articles on a, on a news site, and you try to build AI on top of that, that's interesting. That's good. You know, maybe you can write stories in that brand's voice. Maybe you can answer questions about things about the history of music or Hollywood or whatever their topic is. But none of that matters if you don't know which of those thousand articles outperformed all the rest of them 10 times, right? Which ones were the highest traffic ones? So it turns out that the analytics that we have on the content are crucial. They're essential to AI. If we're going to then say, ooh, you should write more like this, less like this. Here's how to fix your bottom performing content. Here's how to double down and go all in on your top performing content. Or here are things that we've learned from around the network that might help your brand as you're trying to make new content. So it's very interesting that you you look at these loops of like create, publish, you know, measure, optimize, create, publish, measure, optimize, whatever that cycle is. Everybody has different words for those four stages. And I probably won't use the same words twice. But in all of that, if you're not measuring, how do you optimize? So it, so it really turns out that that Parsley was the missing piece for us. And if we have to have an opinion about one thing in that stack, in that suite, it's going to be analytics because, you know, your business rises and falls based on measuring and optimizing. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so I would like to step a couple, make a couple of step back, back still to, to, to circle around you as uh you know um as the cto because i i when i was preparing for for our conversation i i i calculated that you being cto of wordpress vip is roughly five percent of your you know professional career time wise <laughs> and, so you're saying you know, that i'm old I'm, yes i am old yes. no i'm okay. saying you're very experienced very experienced gentleman uh running uh, uh technology operations in vip and i'm wondering you know something that struck me is that most of the places you worked 
you have to you had to create by yourself like found the companies then you know when they were sold moved to the advisory positions and so on now you are you are, you are you are acting as a cto um of WordPress vip and i'm wondering how did you join vip and you know no pressure brian you're the third in a, you know within three years time so I, i'm really curious about the background of this uh, of the situation of you know like what's the behind behind the scenes of joining corpus vip as the cto yeah sure so so you're right um so I, so a long time ago, I've been lucky to work with a lot of great brands. You know, like I've never, I've never built things that you haven't heard of. Like I've just been real, from, from, from the beginning, everything online, I've been very lucky to work with brands that people know. And similarly with investors, I've had really famous investors and, and it's been really good. And at one investor summit we went to, they gave out t-shirts that had a quote and it was, um, oh, it was some, some, uh, it was the guy who created CNN and I'm blanking on his name right now. But his, um, it was a quote about his son being an entrepreneur. And it said, an entrepreneur is what they call you when you don't have a job or, or, you, or you can't work for someone else or something like that. Some kind of slam about that. And when I started doing things, I, like we didn't call them startups. And I didn't know what entrepreneurs were, right? I knew entrepreneurial, sure. But, but it wasn't like a career, like, oh, we're all entrepreneurs now, right? We have and, and investors and all that. Didn't understand how any of that worked. We just couldn't find the the things to do that we wanted to do in the, you know, in the companies that we had to work for. So, so a friend of mine and I had worked at, you know, he worked at Sony, I worked at business week and, but we wanted to do magazine stuff together. And so we just did that on the side. So you, you would just do things on the side. These are hobbies. And then they, until you sold ad revenue, you know, you sold ad placements and you had revenue and you hired people and it turned into a business and then you had to learn how to incorporate. So we just kind of fell into that. We never thought about, you know, now you watch shark tank, now you listen to This Week in Startups. Now you watch the social network movie. And everybody, all you know, my grandmother understands how startups work. You know, they understand how VCs work. They understand you walk out on the big shiny floor and you pitch Mark Cuban and you ask him for money. Like that's how it works, right? So it's so it's a different thing. So so in all of that, I was that sort of entrepreneur, right? Like couldn't really work for other people, unhireable, whatever you want to call it. But um, but building things that I thought were interesting in the moment and going faster than I could if I was working at a company where they were telling me no all the time or, or let's not have risk. So, so I did all of that. So you're right. This last sort of year and a half is a big change. I'd actually say it's more of a grown up job in terms of, can you deal with having a boss again? If you've been the boss for 20 years, can you have a boss? And I kind of lucked out because the, the, the person that I report to Nick is a phenomenal CEO and I'll be blocked on something and he'll come in with an answer and I'll go, wow, damn, I'm glad I work with you. You know? So that's really interesting. And then he reports to Matt Mullenweg who, you know, was one of the creators of WordPress, right? And built automatic. So, so it's a very flat organization. It's still a very crazy, you know, take, take the time you need, do what you want, be you, be you. It's, it's not a, it's not a very corporate uh, company at all. Right. But we have really big, but the part that we do, the enterprise part has really big, important government customers, giant enterprises. We, you know, we are the crazy little division wearing suits inside a, like a, like a circus show of people who are going to be any, you know, look how you want, dress how you want, do what you want. And so Automatic is a wonderful, wonderful open company, loves open source, really believes in the indie web. And then we are this crazy little professional, you know, team in a little room over here that's trying to do businessy things inside this big company. So it's, so it's been a challenge, right? Inheriting someone else's teams, um, selling someone else's product, right? Making this thing work. But, but it works for a lot of different reasons. And I'd say the number one reason is that WordPress is inevitable. 
So when I started building CMSs, there was no WordPress. You know, I built things in the 90s. WordPress came out in 2003. I just two days ago, I was um, I got to see Matt on the 20th birthday of WordPress. And we took a little selfie on his on his rooftop, you know, on the rooftop of the building. And it just made me very happy because I wasn't a part of WordPress. I didn't build WordPress. I wasn't there. I built things six or eight years before WordPress. And I continued building CMSs. I never I never had a reason to install WordPress. Like, who cares? I would compete against WordPress to get News Corp to do some big thing with me, you know, or or to get something. I would compete against Adobe, compete against stuff. So I was always building my own things. And at some point, uh, so how did I get there? Is I had a, a video startup, uh, a social video company, and it was doing well, but we would do these campaigns with celebrities and their fans. So we had a way for, let's say you're hosting a podcast and you want to get uh, video questions from fans for the, an upcoming guest. So we had a way where you could just share a, a link, just a link to a web page, put it on Twitter, put it on Instagram. People would swipe up, watch your intro video, see what you were asking for, and then click a reply button. And without leaving the Instagram app, without leaving the Instagram story, without installing anything, their camera would turn on and they could send you back videos. Or if you were Taylor Swift or The Rock, you could ask your fans a question and they could send you back videos. And so we had a whole platform for that. And what happened with us was we got into an interesting spot where every third or fourth campaign that we did with a celebrity was huge. Like Ogilvy, somebody at Ogilvy who'd been there 20 years, like I've never seen anything work like this. This is magic. You've got 15 hours of videos. It's it's brand safe UGC. Like you've solved everything. And the next two or three campaigns will go nowhere. And then we do another one. It was fantastic. So we're in this zone where we hadn't yet figured out product market fit for our video product. And I happened to write Matt about something, you know, uh, uh, you know, a couple couple of uh, September's ago. And he said, oh, what are you doing? We, we, we might want you to come help us with some stuff. And so we ended up talking and then we ended up joining. But that was it. And so it's, um, it's definitely, I'd say, out of my comfort zone in some ways to inherit somebody else's team. But at the same time, I feel like I went from a small company that didn't have a sales team and didn't have a support team to I just hired 50 great salespeople and somebody amazing to lead it, right? Like I feel like, I feel almost like I hired all these people that I joined. I just got a great sales team. I just great, got a great support team. I got a great chief marketing officer. I got a really good CEO. So it's been fun for that reason, that it's uh, out of my comfort zone and not being my own boss. So it's freeing in certain ways, right? I don't have to worry about everything. Yeah, and, and I am asking one question and you are giving your answer. And during You're the welcome. answer, it's like, next question, gone, next question, gone. <laughs> My list of questions shrinking, you know, uh, twice or three times as fast as I'm asking them. <laughs> But, you know, uh, you, you mentioned, you know, a couple of things I wanted to ask you, like, um, you know, being that, you know, th th there's that, that opinion that when you and you're starting your own companies, you know, one second and so on, you are becoming un unemployable because you, you would never change that. And you mentioned that it's like a grown like grown-up uh, work, grown-up stuff to do. I'm, I was, I was curious uh, very much. How are you making this transition from what you are, what you have built? You shared this already a, a lot, but I'm very curious. 
what would be the thing that you were worried about when you know leaving your comfort the comfort zone of what you have of that safe space you know you knew from the day one uh, of the company you created knowing the problems inside out and so on maybe smaller team maybe not so small but what was one thing that you worried that would be a problem transitioning from that comfort zone to something, you know, organized, even corporate, you know, uh, with a corporate profile within this crazy, uh, crazy environment of WordPress, um, that wasn't the case. So you worried about something, but it never materialized. It, it, you, you, you were surprised and the opposite, something that struck you as, you know, would be easy to do and was totally the opposite. Yeah, uh, let, let me think about that. So, so I would say I don't have any complaints, right? Like, um, I, I, I think I, the things I worried about, right, inheriting a team, selling someone else's product, I would say um, one of the more disappointing things. Were, so, so, so one, my wife is like, "You're gonna have a boss again? Is that how's that gonna work?" Right, and it and it actually turned out really well. And then I don't think about it much, right? But then when we actually have to do things together, I'm always just shocked at the level of help that I get. Like, like I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm usually on these meetups, I'm the oldest person in the room, right? So I'm not looking around for a mentor. I'm not looking around for something. But I have a really, really, really good boss who acts as a mentor. And um, that works really well. So the, so the things that I worried about are just taking over the big team. It's not my product. I didn't invent it. How's that going to go? Um, do I have enough energy for this? It's, it's a lot more work to juggle 70 people and all these, you know, nine calls in a row, overlapping phone calls every day with, with customers, with teammates. There are people that I only get to talk to once a year. It's insane. There's just, there's too much to do. So do I have enough energy for this now? Is this what I want to do next? And so far, you know, I run myself a bit ragged. I travel a lot. I sleep on airplanes. I fly a lot of red eyes. Um, I get sick a lot. Hopefully I'll be uh, healthy next week because we're going on a family trip. You know, so, so, so I was talking about this the other day, uh, even with Matt, and he, he's like, I, I said, I, I probably haven't worked this hard in 20 years, you know, since the last time before I got to run my own companies and, and before I'd made a lot of money and didn't have to worry so much. Right. Like, but I take this very seriously. They acquired my company. I'm a, I'm the smallest investor ever in this company. Right. So I'm a bit of an owner and I, I look at it like an owner. I want to increase our valuation. I want our numbers to go up. I want us to thrive during a recession, not, you know, not contract. Right. So, so I take this seriously. And, and I think he was shocked when I said I haven't worked this hard in, you know, 20 years, 18 years, 17 years. And he's like, really? I said, yeah, but, but I do it because there's just so much to do. And I, and I, I really, I really do care and I want this to work. And then in, in, in a week, I'm going to go unplug for two weeks with my family and go on this epic vacation. And so it's, it's really work hard, play hard. And he repeated that back to me. He goes, yeah, work hard, play hard. I like that. And it is. And so, so the way there, there's a, I'm going to tell you one, you know, it's very funny that I'm, I'm, you know, answering more things than you ask, but that's what I do. So, but this is, but so, this is very interesting. I mean, you, you like, it's like you would be reading my mind really. Yeah. Oh, oh. I also like interviewing people. I love doing podcasts and stuff. So this is good. So, so there's another thing too. So when we look at um, ways that Matt and I are alike, right. And not, not to single him out throughout this interview, but, but I really do think about, you know, this is his company, his product, his vision. And how am I going to work with that when, I spent, you know, whatever, 18 years ignoring it, right? Like I thought it was cute. We had respect for each other, but I would never install WordPress and use it for something. And he would never install something I built, right? That's cool. But unlike a lot of the other players in the space, we liked each other, respected each other, and always thought it would be great to work together, right? So 
so now I'm here and this is all good. And, I'm, um, and so, so it's going well, but I, um, I don't know. There's, um, there are, there are like three things that I look at with, with me and Matt, again, the single hand out. I think we, we both, we align on two of them and we don't align on one. And so that was one of my bigger questions when I came into this was how, how would that play out? Because I, a lot of people that I, I've worked with here, especially in, in support and stuff like that, like they were born into WordPress. They don't know the web before WordPress existed. They don't know coding before the WordPress site work they did, right? A lot of people here, you know, like I, I, I joke, like the WordPress tattoos, they bleed, you know, WordPress colors. Like they, they are so, they're, they're so WordPress and I'm just not. So when you look at me and Matt, um, he runs a big distributed remote workforce that's global, 2000 people, no offices, right? They're all over the planet. And it's not all over the planet like they're all over America. No, they're all over the planet. So my, you know, I have calls at 6 a.m. with like Manchester and Hungary and all of this. And then I have calls at, you know, 11 o'clock at night because we have, you know, Australia and all. Like we have we have a lot of time zones to cover. And it's it's not fair to have somebody have to do something at midnight their time all the time just because I'm on the West Coast. So so we both are completely aligned to stop you sorry for 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 jumping in but then you are the guy that is answering the more or less calls all day long you know you are on the on the plane red eye uh sure. with red eyes and, and and you know this is this is interesting and sorry sorry for cutting you off but when you mentioned that you you haven't worked so hard for 18 20 years and you know you want to want, want the numbers you know uh, to go up, you know, we, we are recording this on the uh, on the federal holiday, right? On on, on Monday, right? And yeah. look, you 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 are you are, you, you know you you are at the sick, you know, uh, making the the interview with me uh, on your supposedly day off, you know. Yeah. I'm is is this an like an American US uh, like work ethos or is it you driving this so hard? So, so it's me being a workaholic. This is because, because my American teammates are off today, but I had a call with one of our teammates in Europe this morning who works, you know, on, on the Gutenberg core stuff. Like we had really, really good session. So, uh, so it's, it's, I'm also trying to just get a lot of things done before I go away for a bit and then come back. And there's, I, so even when I travel, so, so we have these, these meetups, right? So, so a long time ago when I had, you know, I, I had, all distributed, you know, remote teams, uh, you know, probably before WordPress existed, right? So more than 20 years ago, we had companies with people all over the place. Back then it was all over America, you know, maybe one person in Italy, maybe one person in Australia. It wasn't so distributed, but, but we've always had that. And the only way that works, no offices completely remote, is if you still get together every three months. And we, we, we call them code jams back then. And here at Automatic, they have meetups. So we just had a meetup uh, a couple of weeks ago in Istanbul with three big teams that that were basically all of my uh, CMS platform teams uh, that, that that I work with, right? So the platform team, the system team, the design team, and we all got together and worked. And um, it's it's funny because they're they're just it's so global that uh, you had no choice. And so you you ask about like what's social time, what's time off, what's downtime versus being on, right? Like is today a holiday for me? Or is today a work day? First off, being on a podcast is a heck of a lot of fun. Talking about things that I've done or that I know about, I could do that all day long, right? Like until I run out of oxygen. So, so that's okay. I, lo- I love to talk. This is fun, and it's it's helpful for me. But um, but even on those 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 meetups, 
they ask me when they're organizing them, hey, um, so what's your plan for us? You know, we have we have five days, a couple travel days, but we got like three or four days in the middle. What do you want those days to be like? And if you ask me, I'm a crazy workaholic. I say, well, I would like us all to be locked in a conference room or a bunch of conference rooms with whiteboards. And I want to get up on the whiteboards and problem solve and design, you know, design products and, and think about features and yeah, workshops and just work, 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 build, 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 ship, 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 go. And the people organizing the event who are wonderful and very smart and great at their jobs, they go, um, we, we're really tired and we never get to see each other. Can we do more social things? And just, you know, can we do a boat ride on the, and can we do this, you know, go-kart racing thing and all this stuff? And I'm like, uh, and in my, in my, in my heart, I'm dying. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe they're asking for this. No. What about the whiteboards? Come on guys, let's work. And so, so one of them stepped in and said, look, I know you're worried that we're not going to get any work done, but these are all like, programmer nerds they all have laptops they're going to be on on the boat ride talking about work that's all that they're going 80 percent of their time they're going to spend talking about work and so it's, it's important to have these downtime experiences you know when you build a remote team this is actually a really good point when you build a remote team you 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 when you build a local team you're only going to get to get the talent who's within an hour commute of your city wherever your office is your expensive overpriced wasteful office and they're going to spend two hours every day commuting to this dumb office, and it's going to suck the life out of them, and they're going to be miserable. And you can only get the talent that geographically exists in a circle around that city. Like that's your entire, you're casting a net for talent that's just this. And if you think about what WordPress has done, and then what I've done in my career across, you know, four or five, six companies, is I've cast a much wider net. And I said, look, I want to look across the whole planet, or at least the whole country, but I'm not going to limit it to just this circle around some city where I have a lease on, a, on an office space. I'm going to look at everywhere. Can I get the best talent to build this thing with me? So my co-founder for my last company, I was living in New York at the time. He was in Kansas, right in the middle of America. Um, we didn't meet each other for a long time uh, working together, right? Teams before then, we were all over the place. We had, we had one product that had eight people in seven time zones, right? So you're casting a much wider net geographically to get talent. But what you have to do is cast a narrower net psychologically to get people who are driven, people who are gonna show up, people who communicate really well, people who collaborate really well, who aren't jerks and are team players. So you can say, I want anybody on earth to work for me and come join me for this thing or work with me or build this thing with me. But really you have to find people who are, um, who are very responsible, who, you know, because you can hire somebody and they disappear for two weeks and you don't hear from them. And that's, that's terrible, they don't communicate and then you don't know, are they going to show up and something's built? Or are they going to show up and say, oh, I was stuck and I did nothing. And I learned that early on through trial and error, through hiring the wrong people to find like to find them. And so what happens is you want to find somebody who's probably run their own business. They've had to hustle. They had five customers. They were juggling them. And they wanted to add a sixth customer, but without dropping one of the first five. So if you can find somebody who is built like that, who's driven, who's going to wake up and even if you're not paying them, they just want to get up and work on something. They want to build something, even if it's a hobby, right? So you try to find these people psychologically who are built differently, and then you can hire anywhere geographically. So that's the that's like the first thing that Matt and I are completely aligned on, which is building remote teams. I've been doing it for a long time. He's been doing it for a long time. We absolutely agree on that one. The second thing that he and I are aligned on is building great tools for creators. If If I was building a podcasting platform for you or a anything, I would... I would say, what does it take you seven clicks to do 
I'm going to get that down to two and then one. And then I'm going to get that down to zero clicks. I'm going to do it before you get there, right? So I want to build these tools that make you very powerful, very, very strong, very, very um, effective and productive. And that's, that's all, that's like, that's not art. That's not science. That's just, I want to make you more productive. I want to make you better at your job. And I want my software to be doing that for you. So you would never think of someone else's software. So I build software to do that. And so Matt, same thing, build WordPress, built all this stuff, this big ecosystem. So we absolutely align on remote workforces and on building, building great products that make people more powerful. Where we don't align is after you build the product. Yes. I'm, I'm says, all okay, in all. I'm yeah, waiting for this. <laughs> no, it's good. So on, on the third one, after Matt builds this amazing product, I build an amazing product, Matt goes, and now I'm going to give it away to the planet for free forever. Exactly. I, go, I will I will want to dive di I deeper into this. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm like, no, 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 no. You, 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 you hoard it. You put it over here in a closet and you sell it to the highest bidder. You go to the biggest customer with the biggest, most amount of money and you only do that. So I'm built differently on that. I was never... You know, I've done things with open source, but I was never like WordPress is a leader in open source. When you look at things that have been successful and, and now 20 years later, what I realize about that, that's right. It's still not how I work, which is why I'm running the enterprise part, right? I'm doing the, I'm doing the part for those high end customers, the highest bidders. Um, but what I've realized about that is it just makes WordPress inevitable. Like it is, if, if every, if there are millions and millions of people whose careers, whose everything depends on this, this product still existing, it'll be very hard for this product to vanish. I can imagine a lot of other CMSs disappearing in a year or two. I can't imagine WordPress being gone in 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And that was his vision and he did it right. So so I, I love that, I get it. I'm still not built that way. I still don't want to give things away for free, but I'm happy to work in this small pocket within this, his company on the part where we do work with the people who have bigger, more extreme needs Uh, government customers who need more compliance and more, you know, more security, more, 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 more. Um, that's me. So the two, we align on remote workforces and building tools for creators. We do not align on giving away for free. But now that I've, now that I've been watching this for 20 years, oh my God, he was right. This is, I mean, again, I have like seven paths to follow now. <laughs> I cannot decide which one because you have opened. So, really, I mean, I'm trying to decide which which path I, I would like to follow, but you know I would like for also our listeners to understand understand the context a little bit better, uh, better, better. <laughs> uh, you mentioned um, because I would like to follow um, this rabbit hole of open source, like uh, as much for free as possible, instead of like uh, guarding uh, behind paywalls and everything. And I would like. For, for I would like you to tell me a little bit more because you've built a couple of CMSs. I, I count at least two, right? One for blogging platform, which was um, now I forgot the um, weblogs, weblog, yeah. blogsmith. So, sorry, so that one was called, blogsmith. Yeah, that was called blogsmith, right? And AOL bought that, and it still runs in some version. There was another one called CrowdFusion, which was something that we did with like TMZ, MySpace, Best Buy, a bunch of other companies. And then there was another one called Seros, which CrowdFusion uh, acquired, but then we, we invented a new product, bought a company in London, kept their name. And that company raised, I think it was $100 million like three years ago. So like that's a billion dollar platform. So those are probably the three most popular. But I also built a website for an NFL team, a football team in America called the Kansas City Chiefs. That was, that was a CMS. 
I built one uh, with a team for Netscape. From scratch? Like, Sorry? Built, because I, yeah, yeah. For, for, so those are all from scratch. So I think I think I built about two dozen CMSs, and that's that's the joke. I built two two dozen CMSs. They've raised and made millions and millions of dollars. Matt built one CMS, has given it away for free for twenty years, and it will never die. And it is a multi multi billion dollar industry. So I, again, he was right. But but yes, yeah, so I built a but, few dozen CMSs, but there are three popular ones. Yes. Yeah, yeah because th- th- this is for for me this is crazy that you you are you know. Brian Alvey created 2000, uh, 2000 of CMSs and this is just like amazing how how are you even building this again from scratch you know I'm, I'm thinking about design patterns you know um, I, drawing conclusions from the previous CMSs what was working what was not working and yet for for, for, for so many years WordPress was not the way to go for you so I, I was wondering I'm, I, I'm really curious because this also you know a crowd fusion um, from what I read you know later um, you know un, under different name it was enterprise like great enterprise uh, focused CMS. It's a lot like what I'm doing today. Yes. Yeah. So so where where so so if you think of like TMZ, those sites, those are high traffic websites. They break news when Michael Jackson dies, when Whitney Houston dies, when like a lot of celebrity deaths, of course, which is sad. But they have just record breaking traffic numbers. When Michael Jackson died, you know, um, the TMZ kept working. Right. I was very proud that our our system stayed up, but. I would still get phone calls from Harvey Levin, the guy on TV who runs, you know, TMZ, uh, screaming at me because the site was down, but the site wasn't down. Bitly was down. So all the links that were on Twitter were failing because they couldn't redirect, but the website was there. We were never down. It was all the other services on the internet were crashing. All these other things were failing. Um, And so our stuff stayed up. So that was kind of, that was sort of my background was like building high scale, high traffic things that stayed up. So then if you look, um, if you look at what I'm doing now with, with VIP, that's exactly what we're doing too, is we're not doing, you know, WordPress.com. We're not doing Tumblr. We're not doing the other things automatic does. We're not doing uh, regular sized websites, right? We're doing all of this high end stuff, but, but yeah. So what was your next, what was your question on that? Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about this background you have, the huge amount of experience in, in building uh, CMS's platforms for, for clients. And um, why, WordPress never like um, w- because um, Blocksmith started when uh, WordPress started. Uh, you know, I, and th- this is the same year. You know, and and this is like a co- coincidence, not coincidence. I'm I'm curious now that the the year WordPress started, you started your own thing, and then WordPress was yeah, gaining okay, a little okay. bit so more of traction. I get that. Yeah, so I had so I had in the '90s. I so so in '95, I built some websites that didn't have a CMS, right? They were just HTML, right? So Business Week, TV Guide, big brands, but they were just a static website, right? That would fit on a floppy or you know whatever back in the day. Somewhere in the a couple of years later in the '90s, I realized, oh, you could put a database behind a website, and you could have a dynamic website that was changed, and like this is cool. And then, oh, how do you how do you edit those things? Oh, well, let's make screens for them to edit those things. So we didn't know they were called CMSs or content management, right? We just knew like we needed a, a way for you know photo editors at Business Week to edit things and do it on a in a web application and then have it all work for them. So so we ended up I ended up building CMSs. And so around 2000, I was building conference websites for you know conferences to take you know thousand dollar ticket orders and stuff like that in New York for big events and. Um, 
and a bunch of other things. But there was it was always the right CMS for that brand, right? So one of them was on investor deals. So it wasn't a it wasn't a blog. It was company name, amount, which company invested in which company, databases of stuff like um, business data, things like that, right? So we're building CMSs for business data. And so when you you know you say WordPress two thousand three, but like. I knew I I knew of it in 2004, but by 2004 we already had we already had Engadget, we already had Autoblog, we already had all these blogs running on our platform, and so I built the CMSs the way I did, which was Microsoft ASP from the 90s. So I was still doing that around 2002, 2003. Somewhere in there, we hired a team, and we start rebuilt we real yeah we rebuilt things in Lamp, so PHP and Apache and on Linux, and that was all fantastic, but. Even then, by the time we were doing that, by the time we sold Engadget to, and all those other blogs to AOL, WordPress was only two years old. There wasn't a, it, it was it was very new. And so when I met Matt, I was on stage at South by Southwest in 2004 in Austin, Texas, and I was up there with like some of like these famous web design people, Jeffrey Zeldman, and you know I think it was like Contact Chalik, all these early very famous web design people, and I was the one person doing backend stuff. You know, and I was up there giving a talk. And Matt was in the audience and his product was a year old. Maybe it wasn't two years old. So it was very early. So there was no opportunity for me when I was building those things and then selling them and being very successful with CMSs to then decide, oh, let's go try WordPress because WordPress is very new. So WordPress 18 years ago, very different than WordPress today, right? So now you look at all the things I built, even the last thing I did, that social video platform where you share a link and you get videos back from your fans. If you're Shakira, you're getting... 800 videos back from your fans in a matter of minutes, right? All of that came into a custom CMS, not WordPress, right? Not a, not something else. So I built uh, with my co-founder, who I still work with today, Max, the one from Kansas. Um, I'm very happy that he's with me. He's on my VIP team and I get to see him, you know, in Istanbul and all over the place. And I love him. Um, we built a custom CMS and we built it in, you know, in, in React. We had a React native app. Uh, we did a lot of custom iOS code. Like none of this, made sense. None of this is a fit for WordPress because it was a social video platform. And all those videos that would come in for Shakira had to be, you know, we didn't work with Shakira. We worked with Lil Nas X. We worked with a bunch of other stars. But um, but all those videos that would come back in had to be transcoded. They had to be transcribed because we wanted to give you a CMS where you could look at 15 hours of video in five minutes. How do I scan through and find all the good ones? How do I just read what they say? That person looks like a crazy person. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't care about that video. This one looks nice. Oh, it's a kid. Oh, let me see. Oh, it's a very nice person. This is a very good video. Let's see what the person has to say. Oh, these words are good. Now I'll watch the video. So we gave you a way to quickly speed through a lot of content and it could have been done in WordPress, but we got it done really quickly and other stuff. We actually had it. We had a CMS that worked in um, Chinese and English because we were working with Digitas in Taiwan on things for the Olympics in Japan. So, so we built a very custom specific thing for that business. Now I'd say the big, so, so that's why I've done two dozen of these. And then each time it's been sort of the, the right, very specific thing for what we did now with WordPress. I think what's changed with WordPress, especially in the last five years is Gutenberg and Gutenberg blocks. So back at 20 years ago when we were doing ours and, and WordPress was starting, everybody said, Oh, I wish I had blocks. I wish I just had blocks of content that I could take, change the order, remix, go in. I want to be able to change the design on a blocks on a block and have it change everywhere, right? All of these things were not possible before three, four years ago as Gutenberg has matured. 
So what I feel like is I built all these two dozen CMSs and at the right time, WordPress just not only was big in terms of 43% of the web or, you know, 30 something percent of the top 10,000 websites, not only got even better fit and was inevitable and is only growing, but also the Gutenberg project really meant, oh, that thing we wanted to do for 20 years, it's finally possible. And the Gutenberg project matured. And so it's just a phenomenal time to be involved with it. And I couldn't believe in it more. Like I couldn't be happier with it. So now I look back at, okay, that video thing I just did two, two, three, six years ago or something before that. Oh, I know how I would do this in Gutenberg. I know how I would pull all of this together. WordPress could be how I would have done something that I did in CrowdFusion 10 years ago. CrowdFusion, CrowdFusion was a structured data uh, CMS. So if you had a, uh, if you had to edit product pages with really complicated uh, data points and really complicated structured data, you know, on a, on a you know camera, a number of lenses, a pull down, all these kinds of menus, CrowdFusion was perfect for that. WordPress at the time was not. WordPress today with with Gutenberg could absolutely do a lot of that. So I think that's what happened is WordPress got good. Yeah. So so I think I I understand the difference now because I was I was. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking that behind the scenes, all of those CMSs were, you know, based on the same principle, executed a different way. What I'm understanding from you is that every CMS you have created was created like for purpose, like very dedicated solution to match the huge platform that you were building. And one to rule them all, like, you know, general fit, uh, you know, generic approach as WordPress provides wasn't possible at that time or, or still probably now, not in every case, this is best way to go. So, 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 so you think I, that, I, that, pro- that product database, so in Gadget and Autoblog were blog posts, right? That's easy. That could have been a fit for WordPress if WordPress had existed maybe two years before it started, right? But you think about Saros, this, uh, it's like a drag and drop canvas for, it's almost like Flash, but in HTML. And it's a, and it's almost like Google Docs. It's like, it's like, it's a, you and I can be in there real time collaboratively editing multi-page magazine layouts with columns of text and stuff. That's a very specific, very radical, very interesting thing for brands right that's a really cool product but for the for the football team the uh, kansas city chiefs the nfl team site we did back in 2003 or four or whatever you know what they cared about was the cheerleader pages like nothing else mattered news scores none of that mattered what does a cheerleader gallery look like so they had a very specific need for very specific kinds of data but and, and here's a funny thing too around the same time i built a cms uh with uh two other people for cap gemini uh, the you know the big global you know financial services company, and today Cap Gemini runs on VIP. I, I one of one of our blogs we had way back when with Engadget and, and all those things was called Hackaday, which is a daily hack project. Hackaday runs on VIP. Um, I've I've actually built a lot of things that when I got to VIP I was like oh that old thing I used to work with works here it's now on VIP. So you see how things that had maybe a more bespoke maybe more um, custom CMS, all 20 years later, 10 years later, they work really well on WordPress at VIP. Yeah, that, that's amazing. You know, one thing that we have in common is that we, we also work with Capgemini. So so this is mm. th- this is funny accident, <laughs> coincidence. Oh, yeah. uh, but you, you, 
I, you know, since we are talking about the, the platforms you have built, you know, um, uh, you have created Blocksmith with um, Jason Kalkanis, and you know, this is a very uh, interesting character. And I wonder, you know, um, maybe how did it happen? And you know, what are the like learning lessons? Uh, learning lessons, like. Um, Uh, lessons learned from, from from this experience of working with a very strong character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so Jason and I met when we were in high school in Brooklyn, and I was in. I, so he's the middle of three brothers. I was best friends with his older brother, who you know I met my freshman year of high school. But I met Jason because he was the younger brother, uh, the, you know, the middle brother. And uh, Jason and I are actually closer in age. I was the young, well, the second youngest kid in my in my high school class. So his his brother, who is my best friend, was like 11, 12 months older than me, almost 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 twelve months older than me. And so Jason and I were actually closer in age. And so after after high school, during college, and and then after college a bit, we would meet a lot on the subway and we we we'd hang out together. And then we just we we turns out our personalities are a lot the same. We're both very driven. We both want to conquer the world. Um, and so we we fit really well together. We just what do you want to do this weekend? What do you want to do on a holiday? I want to work. So we would just, you know, we would just work together and we ended up doing that a lot. And so we, we worked together a bunch and it was fun magazines, print magazines. And then I worked for him a couple of times. So if I worked for him five different times, I quit on him five times. Not easy to work for. May I, may I ask a follow-up question? Yeah. What were, you know, you quit five times, you know, worked for, worked for him five times, quit five times. What were you thinking when you were joining him for the third time? I know, I know. Um, so, so, so early on, it was just, it was side project. It was hobbies. You know, we would do a magazine in my house and I had a good color printer and I had a big Mac and I knew how to do layout. So he was the, you know, he ran editorial and did ad sales and stuff and I did the layouts and then he would stay with me and we would stay up overnight, you know, waiting for the printer to print because it took a long time back then. And then we'd turn all the stuff in and we'd have a print magazine. So, so we just, it was really working together as hobbies. Later on, when he had a company, I would go work with him and it just, you know, it would be for whatever reason, it wouldn't work. And I'd, I'd go work on something else. You know, I, I, I also had other jobs the whole time through all of this. So it was never like, it wasn't a lot of like full-time jobs quitting on him, but it was a lot of like, Hey, I need you to be my art director for this thing. And I'd be it for two months. And then it was a disaster or it was just wrong. And I would stop. So he'd get a new art director and then that one would quit and he'd say, Hey, I want you back. So we would work, to, we worked together on and off a lot, uh, a lot of times in very few years. But he's fun to work with, and I love him, and I feel like he's my brother. You know, I feel like I'm the fourth Calacanis brother. You know, in some ways. So, so that was good. But he definitely has a strong personality. Everything you see or hear on his podcast, or when he's on TV, or all these different things. I mean, that's that's him. I don't think he has like a public persona and a private Jason mode. I think there's just one Jason, which is very nice. Um, so I've worked with him. I've worked with a bunch of other people. Like I said, Harvey Levin at TMZ. He's on TV all the time. He's He's a character. He would call screaming when things were, you know, when, when some AOL data center was down or something that wasn't my fault and my sites were down and his site was down, but I had the CMS. So he blamed me. So he's looking for me to solve it. I'm like, actually, Harvey, if you can get off the phone, I can call Columbus, Ohio data center and see what's going on and try to get our stuff working again. So I've worked with a lot of characters like that. And I wondered because, you know, Matt is very famous And he built something really big and he is that level of character in some ways, but he has a very soft spoken demeanor when he's on a podcast. 
when he's doing, he sounds very thoughtful. He takes a long time to answer things. He's, he speaks, you know, I speak really quickly. He's very thoughtful. He's very measured. He has, he's really smart. And so I was wondering, oh no, is he going to be another, you know, crazy driven, screaming lunatic like Jason or like um, Harvey Levin, you know, from TMZ. And it, it's, it's not like that at all. He's just as driven. He wants this thing to be the biggest thing ever. He wants it to last a hundred more years. He really, really believes in what he's doing, but he doesn't flip out on people and use screaming and fear the same way that other characters do. And I have a high tolerance for the screaming and the, like the abuse, that kind of stuff. Um, so I've done well with that, but I'm happy to not have to even think about that now. So I've worked with, and, and there's more characters, there's more famous people, great, really famous investors and all that. But for the most part, um, I tolerate that really well. And I just want to get things done and solve problems. And so it's all worked out, but I don't, I don't really worry about the characters anymore. Um, and I don't have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, does this come does this come with the experience? Because I, I'm, I'm, you know, the tolerance. Because I'm thinking also, you know, that there are maybe two modes of operation. You either acquire the uh, like qualities of the environment you work um, within, or from your superiors, your, your bosses, and so on, or you. Um, you take the stance totally opposite. Like this is the uh, this is the anti anti character. I I, I don't I I never want to be this person. So I I will see those mi like mistakes, you know, ways of doing things. I will avoid when I move or I I, I get promoted. So I'm I'm thinking no because a CTO is also th this level of 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 position also involves a lot of leadership skills this is that's why i was asking is this more art or, or science because there is that leadership component that goes into c-level positions of of managing your division you know arm leg or whatever you call it of, of people some so i'm wondering what is you have learned from this experience versus you know how the leadership versus what's your leadership style and 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 your opinion on 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 the leadership on the CTO role um, you know in, in general sure sure okay so th there's a few questions in that so one is back to that idea of these crazy characters that you have to work with right I think there are I, I, I like to oversimplify things and I use a lot of extreme language so I use kill and died and fire and fail and success and like I'm, I'm very, it's, it, there's no language for me that you'll get that, that's just in the middle. Um, yeah, and, and, so, and I overcomplicate my question. So I want to ask no, one no, thing and I, yeah. I, I ask three things <laughs> and no, then okay. you answer. No. When no, I ask one question. thing, you answer four of, of my questions. Seven. I know, exactly. <laughs> I'll do that too. And I'll tell somebody. So the question you didn't ask that I'd like to answer is this, because I'm oh, yeah, please do. your question. So there's, there's, there's more of that. Well, no, so, so here, here's the thing on leadership styles, right? So if you think of something, um, and I, I don't, I don't, I had, I, it's been a long time, maybe never, that I thought about how this applies to me because I don't think of my leadership style. I don't think I'm the guy who's going to come in and like do a reorg, and the guy who's going to come in and change process. But in the year and a half since we got there, we've changed a lot of process and we've reorganized things a bit. You know, it, it's not, but it's not like I come in with a playbook. Here's what worked for me at my last ten companies, and here's what I'm going to do here. I think people who do that fail. That's like the book, um, "What Got You Here Won't Get You There." Right, like whatever worked for or, you last time, probably not going to work here. Yeah, or what? 
or uh, 90 days. So what's your 90 day plan for new position? You are taking over new position, yeah. you know, whatever so you do. My 90 day position was to just not, not break things, not mess things up. That, that was my 90 day plan was not to break things. So I did not break things in I didn't mess things up. A lot of people are very happy with how it's going, which is good. I think there's a lot more to do. So, so we'll, you know, we, there, there's a lot of unfinished business, but back to the leadership thing. I, I oversimplify it. And I think of two kinds of leaders. I think of Captain America and Darth Vader. So I think of those two. If you're a Darth Vader style leader who screams at people, who creates all this urgency at work when maybe it doesn't need to be so urgent, it doesn't need to be so crazy. You don't need to do an overnight. You don't need to scream at people. You don't need to be miserable. The second that that leader walks away, what do all the employees do? They want to get an escape pod and leave. They want to flee. They want to, they want to get away. They're not going to, like nobody, when Darth Vader is not on the Death Star, everybody there is like taking a nap. When he's there, they're scared. They're freaking out. They're working hard. They're doing 18-hour days. They're doing all this crazy stuff. So the Darth Vader style of leadership is very good short-term. If you need to get something built in a month or three months, you will work people to death. It's miserable, but they're scared and they have no choice and they're going to do it. And they're going to keep doing that. And they're not going to wise up and realize that they can get away. So when, but when Darth Vader leaves, those people are not going to do what Darth Vader wants. They're going to, they're going to run, right? Captain America, the other side, is kind of leading by example. So Captain America is going to, you know, explain things, do them. But when Captain America is not there, you still want to do the right thing. You want to make him proud. You want to do what he, what he would, what he would, what you would be doing if he was standing there. So you don't want to run. You don't want to flee. You want to finish the mission. You want to do the right thing. So I think there's two ways you, you can work with people. And I think the people who use fear and who use a manufactured sense of urgency and who create terrible working environments, I think they can get a lot done in a short amount of time. But I don't think in the long term, and WordPress thinks very long term, I don't think in the long term that you're going to be successful because the second people can leave, they leave. And if you can do it the other way and, and lead by example and lead by hope and lead by creating the idea of a mission with people, then when you're not around to tell them what to do, because I can't, I have 70 people to talk to and then another 300, like, and too many customers. There's just too many. So I can't, I, I have people again, sadly that I talk to once or twice a year and I can't talk to all of them. So I'm not going to be there when they're making decisions. I want to make sure that they make the ones that they would have made if I was in the room. So that's probably how I lead. And it feels like that's how Matt and all of WordPress works, which is it's a mission. You understand how to do the right thing, what to do. The company has a creed. They talk about, you know, helping people even when it's not your job. So, so one of the neat things that I see that a lot of our people do is when something's going wrong, when something's breaking on Tumblr, when something's breaking on WordPress.com or WooCommerce or some other thing, or there's some security event or something. I have people on my teams that have a lot of stuff to do for really important, really big, famous clients, very important websites that go and they jump in and they go help. And they spend their days and their evenings and their nights helping solve some problem somewhere and fixing things and going through repos and, you know, pushing changes and looking at and just helping. They just help. And so we definitely have that, that leadership culture here. That is the one I'd like to hope that I do. You know, I definitely don't scream at people. Um, I think I don't scream at people enough. I don't scream at people at all. But, um, but I don't want to be that kind of leader. I want to be, I, I, I don't even, I don't even think of it as leadership. You know, my, what, why there's no 90 day plan for me is because in 90 days, I could not wrap my head around everything that was going on enough to say, wait, what if we go this way a little bit, right? What if we try this next? Okay. Stop that thing you're working on and go do this. I can't just come in and tell them 
stop, change, do that. I have to, I have to look at it, figure it out. We have to figure out the business goals. Um, there's a very profound thing that one of our customers said to us recently. We had a little event in New York City a few weeks ago, and he was um, he he mentioned when he when he came in to do his job to build websites, he told his bosses, um, "I'm not here to build a website. I'm here to build a business. So you tell me what your business goals are, and I'll build the website that makes those business goals happen." And I think that was very profound. I think we're not really here to build you know a product necessarily. We're here to build a business and our business is to make other businesses better. And if you can keep that in mind the whole time, then that's a great, like you don't need a leader to tell you what to do. What should I be doing today? What helps my customers grow? That's what you should be doing today. Do you need somebody to tell you how to do that? Maybe, maybe not. I hope not. We have a bunch of very responsible, driven people who communicate really well and collaborate really well. And as long as you have them pointed in the right direction, to make your customers grow. If your customers grow, you're going to grow. So that that to me is leadership. Like tie those things together. Help your customers grow, you'll grow. Yeah, I I really like it. I really like it. And it's it's more like a pull instead of push. Like mm-hmm. um of this approach. Sure. And and when I'm listening to you um there's an article on Inc Uh, Inc.com that I read recently, um, the author, um, like Steve Jobs, like famously said that uh, we don't want to hire a bunch of smart people to tell them what to do. To do, we want we want them tell us what to do, right? And from this stemmed a lot of different things, like you know, we are hiring a bunch of smart people and lock them in the room and see what happens. And this is like, or let them do what they want to do. And you know, on Twitter, I I I I read something to to the effect that this is the dumbest idea ever to lock down those smartest guys and let them just let them lose. And and back to that ink piece. Um, The opinion was that right now we are like 20 years after this huge boom in IT, like websites are now mature, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you're, you're like, like grandmas know how startups operate, you know, we are not in the mode of this is all new, we are in the mode that like, um, 30 years, uh, like 40 years old people are in the mode that this is the way to operate using PCs, smartphones, it is the status quo. And the younger generations, you know, millennials that, that, that are coming to the, let's say, professional market, they are in a coping mode, in a catching up mode with those people. And this is no longer the case of, you know, um, they are teaching us, let's say, the, the older generations, they are catching up with us and they cannot catch up because there is so much to learn. And 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 the idea is that um, it's not the case of letting everyone lose, but rather taking those very smart people and training them in what business want or wants or 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 what the what are the results. And I'm curious you now What, what what's your opinion on this? You know, on hiring people, letting them lose versus hiring people and 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 training them to be very professional and very like taking their talents and 
um, capitalizing on this talent, but with a lot of training and 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 giving clear expectations. So, a very long question with a lot of no, background, it's, it's, but no, I hope it's, this it's this makes sense. Because, yeah, no, and the Steve Jobs part, uh, you know, so the way that I'd always heard it was, you know, you don't hire, you know, if you need seven people or whatever, you don't hire specific roles. This is not you're not putting together a Dungeons and Dragons crew with like, you know, one, you know, one archer and one strong person and one wizard. And you don't don't hire for those specific roles. You um you you get like really smart people who can kind of do you know, especially in an early, early days, early startup, first ten people, they all wear a lot of hats. They all do a lot of things. So the way I've heard it phrased was you don't hire these specific people for to get on the bus with you. You get the smartest people you can on your bus and you go off because in three months you're gonna change directions. And you might not need somebody who's great at this one weird database or this one weird front end thing or something like that. So you want to get the smartest people to do things. What you don't want to do though is just to have them work on whatever they want. This is not a this is not a, a university lab where they can just do whatever crazy thing they feel like, right? So you, there's a balance of what's the overall business direction and then what do people work on? And some people confuse the two, and they think that the way the business runs is your OKRs and your to do list. For your team and when you have like finance write a to-do list for your engineers you have a terrible workplace that's a that's a horrible thing to do right that's not probably not going to go very well but the flip side is you can't have these really smart people doing whatever they want with no business direction so there's a balance between the two right you can't you can't let one of those two modes run how things work so we just went through this exercise with the parsley team because they have a very organic very um very mindful product thinking way that they work and they work in bets. They don't have a roadmap for enterprise customers to look at. They don't do all these things and they work on bets. They pitch literally, if you want to change what you're working on every two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, whatever, whatever the next pitch session is, you make a video or you make a, you make it, you make a case. They're like, I think I should stop working on reporting and I should now work on a way to do, you know, attribution for conversions or something, right? You pitch it. And if you pitch it really well, and you can get a few other people to join you, now you're working on that. So they really do dictate what they work on. The downside is if they're just working on things that they think are the next thing to do, that's not good. Yes, they're customer informed, but the business has a direction that it wants to go. So what you actually have to do is say, look, um, you can pitch your bets. You can work on anything you want to work on. You can make a case for why your solution is going to work. We're not going to tell you exactly what to do. We're going to tell you the outcome we want. And we're going to say that roughly we want 60% of you working on this, 20% on this, 20% on that. But within that, once we've set the over overall direction, what we're trying to do, what customer problems we're, kind of, we're trying to solve, we'll tell those to the product team. And then the product team can say, look, I think this is all about you know, a dashboard or reports, or maybe it's an email. Maybe it's real time. Maybe it's not real time. doesn't matter. It's up to them to figure out, here's a problem to solve for the customer. So the business has to rank those problems to solve customers. The business has to rank which customers it wants to go after because you can't work in isolation as a product. So you can't say, you can't tell the product team, hey, we'd like to solve these things and have them only solve it for one kind of customer. Or maybe they solve it for consumers, but not enterprise. Maybe they solve it for enterprise, but not consumers. You actually want it. You have to make sure that the product that gets built is the one that your sales team is going to sell, is the one that your marketing team is going to market, is the one your support team is going to support. So if you look at us, we are clearly enterprise. So sometimes we get asked, hey, can we make Parsley, the content analytics engine, work for you know every blog on earth 
all of dot, all of wordpress.com, all of anything? And the answer is, well, you could, but it's not really a fit for that. It's, it's really good for big newsrooms with a lot of editors, with a lot of, like it's built to be perfect for those things. And the other way to look at it as it is, if you're having your product team build something that isn't sold by an enterprise sales team and supported by an enterprise support team and marketed by an enterprise marketing team, your enterprise product team should not be building that. So there's interesting ways to do these tests to figure out what you can do. But at the end of the day, if you can set a broad, loose set of priorities and say, here's what we're going after, here are the business metrics we're trying to change. We get a 30% conversion rate in sales of this kind of product and a 4% in this one. We need the 4% to go up. If you can tell them that and hand that to your product team and not say, I need you to build a better filtering tool, pull down screen, some mechanism. I need that. Don't tell them how to do it or what it is. Tell them what your business goal is and they'll build the right thing. So we have a very interesting thing that just went on where we were, where we, we had a gap between the business goals and what the product team was doing. And it wasn't their fault. It wasn't, it's probably mine. I'm the one in between the business goals and the product team, right? It's, it's my job to make sure that the overall direction of that bus is set and any anybody on the bus is smart, talented, creative, doing the things that they think are going to solve the problems. But don't ever tell your product team, you know, go build X. Tell them, go solve this problem for the customer and then let them surprise you. So so it's a mix. You you want those smart team, people that can do anything, but they can't be directionless. This is not a, mm-hmm. you know, research lab. I, I, I will complicate the picture right now because I would like to introduce now the open source and the community, those two actors uh, comes into uh, onto the scene. So, you know, it's, it probably doesn't um, involve you, involve you uh, as WP VIP directly, but This is a little bit. I, I I'm referring back a little bit also to what you said that you know you you're not totally aligned with what Matt wants like everything for the community for free versus let's let's look at <laughs> behind the uh, carry share desk let's say. But how to like include this component of community working for free huge I mean enormous community and and yet there is there is also for profit component and and the whole vision for wordpress and so many voices to manage you know my, you know community also needs to be made happy because they they also need need needs um, need uh, rewards not financial but you know recognition reputation you know it's like yet another customer to which wordpress as I think has to sell, right? So I wonder how to manage it. You know, it's been done for 20 years. I'm and and you know, with with every new World Camp, uh, like Europe level, there's always like community voice coming um, to the scene, grabs the microphone and voice their concerns. So I, I really want to understand this this big picture, and okay. I will have follow up no, questions I, if you let me. <laughs> I have a, I have a better, idea, a better idea today of how it fits in than I did a few months ago. So, so, the, so the open source question is really interesting because it's not my background, right? It's not my thing to give things away. And so it's taken me a little while to wrap my head around, you know, what, what things, because we do build things. So, so overall, we don't, build, um, we don't build WordPress, right? WordPress, our parent company, or the world builds WordPress, right? We don't even really sell WordPress. We sell this promise that if you bring us your WordPress thing that you invented, whether it's got a huge database or 
the most files or it's under attack or whatever your challenge is, it's a WooCommerce site, whatever, uh, we will make sure that it scales, that it runs. So the promise that VIP gives to the world is you build it, we scale it. Like that's it. We don't build it. We don't change anything. We don't change code. We don't get to do a lot. We don't, weirdly, in my previous CMSs, I always, my goal was to build an authoring interface, some kind of content management system that dazzled the the creators, right? The people running it, the editors, the whatever they are. And here, I don't get to do that at all. You know, I literally don't get to change WordPress very much. That's changing a bit with one of our AI projects. But in general, I don't, I don't change the interface you use to do your job. That's WordPress. You're using WordPress. We're making sure that that scales, that that works. So we do have a lot of people building things, but they're building things to make sure that that works. And so when I look at that and that, that idea, we, we are building things. We're building things that make Gutenberg work really well at an enterprise level. We're building things that make search work really well at an enterprise level. And so in the last year and a half, talking to people throughout Automatic and talking to my team, I've realized that there was something I started to tell people and I finally wrote it down. And I said, oh, I understand what the promise of WordPress VIP is. I understand what this is. What it is, is in WordPress, if you download WordPress and you put it on your laptop, it has a whole bunch of features. It has search. It has security. It has an authoring interface. It has backups. It has a bunch of different features. It has Maybe it has analytics, right? A bunch of different things. But they're the free version that runs on your laptop. How fast is WordPress search on your laptop when you download the free version? It's not very fast. How good is it? It's a full text search with percents and a like statement or whatever. Like it's not, it's not spectacular, but it works. It's fine. Everything in there works. You have a media library. It's cute. It works. If you, if you have bigger needs than just running WordPress on a laptop or for a two person, you know, little thing, you go to the professional level. So the second column, right? The first column is all the features for the free level. The second column is professional. What does professional mean? Oh, you could, you go to a hosting service or you use Jetpack, which works wherever you're hosting. And if you use Jetpack, guess what? You get real-time backups. You get enhanced security. You get a bunch of different features. You get better search. You get all these different things. So every one of those features that you got for free in WordPress, there's now a professional level. And that's like $25, $50 a year. That's not very expensive, right? It's, it's tens of dollars. It's hundreds of dollars to get the professional level of WordPress. What if you are a company that has even bigger needs and you've outgrown that? You're not a consumer or a small business. You're enterprise. You're a government agency. You're a giant media company. You're a big brand. You have enterprise needs. So who's going to fill in that enterprise column of enterprise search, enterprise analytics, enterprise security? That's VIP and a number of other hosting companies, right? There are, there are a bunch of people out there that are doing this, but that's our job is to fill in that enterprise column. And so we built an enterprise search. So when you come to us, you get a different version of search than you would get somewhere else. And you're able to go in and hand move search rankings to the top and change different things, right? It's, it's the enterprise tool for search. We give you, we have partners to do enterprise asset management, digital asset management, right? Videos and photos and things like that. Um, we, if you, if you want enterprise analytics, something better than, you know, Google analytics or chartbeat or one of these little, you know, like, like pro type things, premium, you know, professional type things you want enterprise that's parsley. So we are filling in each of those things in that category. The promise of VIP and the promise of WordPress though, is if you want to leave us, your site still works. There are a lot of platforms that you go to. If you go all in on one of these platforms, if you leave, 
your site doesn't work anymore. You need to move to another CMS. You need to migrate. Things don't work anymore. So with us, the promise is we're going to give you those features. And if you leave, okay, your search will be a little slower. It'll still work. Your site doesn't break. Nothing breaks. But we're building those tools. And so one of the tests that we have for whether something that we build is something that we keep and we sell to only our customers and it's a service that you pay for that we provide or, or it's just part of being on our platform. One of the tests is if we if you leave and you don't have that anymore, will your site still work? And so if, if, it, if it won't, that's something we contribute back to open source core. That's something we contribute back to the to the open to, to the you know to regular WordPress, uh, or we let you take with you. So we look at this all day long in terms of is this thing that we're building to make migrations of Gutenberg content work, not for a, a six page website, but for a six million or six hundred million page website. Is that something that we should give away? Is it something the world needs, or is it something only for our customers? And we spend a lot of time thinking about these things because we try to give away as much as we can. And the easiest way to, to sort of decide which does that fall under? Is it something that we just built that's now free and, and open and gives to the world or make part of WordPress? Or is it something that, you know, it's a service that we run that you pay for? Like we don't give away Parsley for free. You pay for it. It's great analytics. It's doing a lot. We have a lot of people and a lot of servers, a lot of code doing a lot of great work. And so that's really the test. If you leave us, will your site still run? It'll run slower. It'll be less secure. You're probably, I think you're a fool to leave, right? But if, and if you stay, it's better, but you can leave if you want to do that, but it's going to be, it's still going to work. And so I, I, I feel like we picked that up from WordPress more than anything else. Cause in my, in the rest of my career, if you leave Saros, your stuff doesn't work anymore. If you left CrowdFusion, it, your stuff doesn't work anymore. Good luck, you know, but now, now we have a bit of a, we're, we're a little better to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, so funny you, you wrote this up again, because I was just going to ask you, you know, is this like an irony that after building so many CMSs, you know, also as a platform for like like commercial use, not one of, but commercial, is it an irony that you are now with WordPress VIP or is it uh, Destiny? So, wow, Destiny. So it's a bit Destiny in that, you know, I, I feel like I feel like I finally realized WordPress is inevitable. You know, everybody might think PHP is a joke in 2023 nobody would want to whatever whatever you think about it it's still like the biggest thing on earth and it's growing it's crazy right it's 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 so big so i do think it's destiny i do think it's inevitable um they did a really good job building it and scaling it and pushing like like literally adding gutenberg like it's only gotten better and better and better um i do think i don't know if it's ironic that i'm here i think it says a lot to these it, customers doesn't, that i that i believe in so much to be here Right, that I'm I'm not the first person who's going to say, "Oh, let's let's launch a WordPress site," and the fact that I'm here says a lot in terms of trust and all of that and confidence from customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and don't 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 take it like aggressive. I'm I'm just <laughs> no trying. I don't, to... I don't take anything like that. It's all good. Uh, yeah, but, yeah but that's, you are that's right. Great. I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't born in WordPress. It wasn't my first CMS I ever used. It wasn't how I discovered the web. It wasn't any of these things. You know, I've used it for a bunch of years. It's good for certain things, but it's gotten like, so here's the thing. So you, you mentioned this earlier, you said something along the lines of um, something I used to tell people was if you build something for everyone, it works for no one, right? That's absolutely true. If you try to build a thing that solves every use, oh, it's a, it's a store and it's an auction platform and it's a social network and it's email and all this stuff. Odds are 
you're going to build something for everyone and it's going to work for no one. But if you build something and you and you let it roll for 20 years and you get the smartest people involved and at some point half the web runs on it, odds are most things that you're going to build on the web are going to work on WordPress really well. If WordPress runs half the web and you have something you're going to build that needs to be on the web, there's a 50-50 chance that what you're building, and, and maybe it's a 90% chance, that you can do it in WordPress. If you cannot say the same about other CMSs that have different kinds of opinions that aren't built on a big collaborative ecosystem and big plugins and things like that, right? You're, you're, you can't say that. So, so I feel like if you're going to have something that has longevity, that can last 20 years and then another 100 years, if you're going to do that, it's got to be open source. It has to be a collaborative effort. It has to be owned by the world, and it has to um, and it has to have plugins. It has to have a plugin architecture. Like you can literally snap in anything that you want to have. So one of the one of the um, it was just a lesson I learned a long time ago that that idea. Like you could tell early on in WordPress, this is going to work, but it's not ready for me yet. And then now, you know, ten years ago, okay, I was still still building other things. But now, I would say, it if it runs half of the web, and it could probably run the other half of the web, there's really nothing that you couldn't do on this. It's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. So, again, half of my next question was already answered, but uh, I would like to ask ask you, you know, about if you go to like if you google for you know popular cms is out there you end up on g2 and at least like over 300 different cmss you know also with transfer is, is there like funnily but you know let's say there is roughly a 300 cmss so what do you think about this also for platforms like you know you know, coming from uh, from I know huge organizations like uh, Adobe, you know th th those corporate environment CMSs. W what's the future in front of the CMS, let's say ecosystem? You know, how do you see this? Um, th those movements will you know what, what will be the what would be the out outlook? You know, in a decade or two decades, I I I know you don't have that magic ball, you no, know, no. crystal ball. And, no, and... I'll, I'll give you my opinion though. I def I definitely have the uh, the magic eight ball of opinions. Um, All right, and the, the, you know, or the crystal ball. I guess the crystal ball of opinions. You were saying. Yeah. So, so I think there will always be really interesting, cute little things that look like a cool CMS that you can try, that you can run your you know three person startups website on that has six pages on it or whatever, and and that's great. Um, I think those things are interesting. I think, I think it's neat to learn from them. You know, I'll look at things that are, um, you know, um, sort of like static site generators or it's like a little repo and you do all your stuff and you just, you build and you go and, and it, it builds its own, it builds its own dashboards and builds the CMS and structured data type things. I think those things are interesting to look at. I don't, at least for me, I don't think if you were a large government agency or a large enterprise or a bank or any of these things that you would want to be betting on something that's a year old that looks really cool on a, you know, two, two authors making 20 pages. Like that's cool. But what happens when you have 200 or 2000 authors? What happens when you have 2 million or 2 billion pages? You know, we've, we've worked at sites that had like a billion articles, It's a lot of content. 
Is that going to run in your cute little repo that you generate, your static site generator? How long does it take your static site generator to regenerate that? It's a long damn time. That's why static site generators were really cool for a minute. And now a lot of those are like, oh, wait, also we're dynamic. We rehydrate. Like it's a, you know, like we're not just static, right? It's it's a funny thing. There's there's some good things to be said about static sites. They are very secure because they don't do anything, right? It's cool, right? So we solve that in other ways. Um, it's It's fascinating. I don't, I don't know if you were to look at, you know, just, I don't know how you compare it, right? Like car companies or something, you know, Mercedes Benz has been around for a long time, right? Like certain Toyota, they've been around a long time and you have another car company that's a year old. Like which one would you buy from? Um, I don't know. I think I'd pick the one that has figured out how to last for decades and decades. Maybe there's something interesting to look at in some cute little electric car company or something that's out there. But don't you think that the smartest giants will stay nimble and be able to adapt. So I look at this and I think there's a lot of learnings in those, but I, I just don't know how a business would choose to go all in on something one of their developers thought was really neat on product hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but on the other hand, there is that all that, that constant battle, you know, David and Goliath. You know, mm-hmm. David becomes the goal, next Goliath. You yeah. know, the, the the huge organization, and then the, the the little small you know startup comes and and, and 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 takes over that that position because someone got like you know uh, rests on on their laurels and and gets you know lazy about something and then. Yeah, but I'm, I have an answer no, for that. No, I have an answer for that. So watching this organization, so this is an interesting thing because I've worked at, you know, companies with a lot of people, and you know, you 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 know, we, we you know, sell businesses and work with big companies and all that. And there's a reason why they're old and slow, and you can tell they're like they're just slowly going to die. Like they're not they're not going to last, right? Like I get it. Um, when you get so when you're small, you try to say yes to a lot of things. And hope that one of those catches. It's the right time, the right moment, the right team, the right whatever. It resonates and you ride this giant wave up and you get really big. Once you get really big, especially if you're like a publicly traded company, your whole goal is to say no to everything. You don't want to do something risky. You want to hold on to what you've got. You play defense. When you're young, you do offense. And when you're old, you just play defense. You try to hold on to that stack of stuff you have. And that's a that's a terrible position to be in because you've admitted that you're done growing. You're no longer trying to do anything. You just want to hold on to what you've got, and inevitably the world will pass you by. Like you're going to be gone. You just you just try to do. You just want to be gone as slowly as you can. And there are some companies like Microsoft has done a remarkable job. You know, a lot of companies are terrible at acquiring. They acquire brands and then they kill them. Right? It's where brands go to die. That kind of thing. Right? Microsoft has done a very good job recently. For the last five, six, seven years, whatever it is, of buying things and not um, killing them. So getting uh, getting GitHub, great example, right? That's thriving. That's amazing. The the video game stuff they're doing. The um, but it, LinkedIn, you know, whether you love it or not, like they've kind of left it alone. It's doing its thing. Um, Minecraft, like that's incredible, right? It's still huge. So they've done a really good job of buying things and not. Uh, breaking them, not making them bad. Google has done a really good job. What I see, you know, in terms of being somebody, uh, a company that still is like a startup, that still has good ideas, eh, maybe not. Maybe having 10 chat apps or whatever by 10 different teams is a terrible idea. But overall, they've consistently had a good new product every few years that's going to be around forever, forever, like Gmail, right? 
like bought YouTube, right? Like they, they have a, a bunch of things. Automatic thinks a lot from what I can tell about being anti-fragile, about being something that's going to be hard to break, about being something that's organic, about being something that is just going to keep going and is built the right way with the right kinds of people so that the system itself can be eternal, can be ongoing. And it's not just built around one moment. It's really not built around blogging because blogging was cute from you know 2002 to 2007 or whatever. And when, when Jason and I got to blogging, people, people who had been blogging for a while thought we were late to the game. You, we just got there right as it was, right as it was over. We were just, um, we were, we were intruding and crashing their party and they were pissed. I'm like, why are you paying bloggers? That's not the spirit of blogging. And then when you look back, like at our Wikipedia pages, it's like these two guys invented blogging, you know, like, it, you know, it looks like we were original, like we were in there for so long. Um, when we really, like when we got there, people thought we were late. When you look back, we were still kind of early. So how do you stay nimble like that as your business gets big and as you get these, as you have a, you know, a tr an expense policy, as you have all of these crazy, you know, uh, rules that businesses get when they grow, how do you have enough of those that you don't lose what you're doing, that you don't have people spend too much or people do crazy things? There are some rules, but you still foster this really creative place where things things can happen and you can do things. And I watch, you know, I think a lot of that works because, especially for automatic, works because it was born in open source and born in the web. And so when I look at movements that were really big and AI being the this big explosion in AI being the most recent one, Automatic has done a very good job of saying, like, we are all in on open source. We are open. It's going to be very hard to get rid of something that's popular that the whole world uses. It's open source, right? Like Linux, never going away. WordPress, I don't think it's ever going away. And then you look at the web and open web and owning your own content and having your own destiny. You watch all these cycles of people who build on AOL and then AOL goes away. And then you build on Facebook, you know, if you're Zynga. And then, and then Facebook shakes everybody loose and they all, you know, have to figure out how to get money and get, get traffic again. You look at people who build on other people's on YouTube, build a business on TikTok. Who's making money on TikTok, right? You look at people building money on these, building businesses on these things. And you go, you know what the one constant is? Owning my own audience, having my own website and having all the email addresses of my, of my, of my customers. That's a really big thing. So who makes that possible? Oh, automatic with WordPress and WooCommerce. Here you go, right? So they've tapped into open source. They've tapped into the web. They have a really powerful cloud for hosting all of this stuff that is completely underrated that the world doesn't know about, run by a bunch of geniuses. They do sick, sick stuff at a level of Amazon and in some ways beyond in terms of running your site and making it run the same way it runs on your laptop and it runs in the cloud. So they've done some optimizations around WordPress and around hosting that are incredible. The edge network, the traffic shaping, like they do incredible, incredible stuff. Very hard work, systems team, but very smart, innovative. You think of mobile. WordPress adopts that, right? You think of, um, now you think of AI and they're like, they're very well positioned to just keep, keep iterating and keep absorbing each of these waves as they come. And here, actually, here's a different answer to the question, which is really funny. We have like, kind of like the Netflix policy for vacation. It's like unlimited vacation, unlimited AFK. And so at any given time, you look across all your teams and like one in every seven or one in every six people is gone. They have a three-year, a three-month sabbatical every five years. They're just gone. Sorry, I'm not going to be here the next three months. Good luck without me. This is crazy. There's uh, parental leave. 
sabbaticals, AFK, all this stuff. Tons of meetups, right? People are constantly traveling. So you're constantly having to deal with, I have a team of eight, but one, two, or three of them isn't going to be here, be here on a certain week, right? And if you think about that in terms of data centers and cloud hosting, this is what Google proved out with like commodity servers. They're like, we're not going to run $10,000 PCs. We're going to run $500 PCs and we're going to run millions of them. And we're going to build our software such that if one of those dies, because every day, if you have a million servers, 50,000 servers are dying. Like they're gone. Memory is bad. Hard drive goes bad. Power supply goes bad. Something goes bad. If you can build your product in such a way that it can handle lots of failures and things, and it can withstand that, you're going to be around for the long haul. Now you look at automatic. If you can build your business in such a way that if I go away for two weeks, things still run. If I go away for three months, things still run. If I had another kid, if it wasn't old, if I had another kid, I go away for six months, things still run. So they built a business in which very smart people are attached, but they might or might not be here on a given week and the company still runs. That's genius. It's very powerful. Yeah. And and the the the, the adjective I'm um, I'm thinking is organic because when you are when you are explaining all of this, I, I I'm thinking about organic structures that uh, are tolerating a lot of failure, like mm -hmm. at, uh, yeah. massive, like on every level you you tolerate a lot of failure. And wrapping this conversation, which you know is very long, uh, for which I'm very grateful, I would like to end this on a little bit of a philosophical note. So my last question to you is. Do you feel like uh, uh, as a father of CMS? To do I do I feel like that? Um, Would you call yourself your, yourself that? No, sure. No, so so I'm so yeah. So no, so people come to me with CMS questions. People ask me what's out there. People ask me things about that, and I built a lot of things. Um, it's it's so if you want to get philosophical, I don't think of a CMS as a product, and it's probably why I built so many of them. I don't think of it as a as a thing or a brand or there's there's here's my CMS. I don't think of it as I roll into your company and I tell you, I've got a CMS, it does these five things, you need to do these five things, here take my CMS. I actually I would say I am a so to be philosophical, my tagline for everything when I look back on what I've done is I build software that makes creative people more powerful. That's it. So that could be a video app on your phone. But that could also be a CMS. Often, you know, 18 out of 20 times, it's been a CMS. That's what I built because those are the people that I'm trying to build software for that make them, uh, those creative people and how I make them more powerful. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not about that. And so one of, the, one of the things I love is when you think about a website, when you think about content management, so I do philosophically try to unpack content management and think of what the job is. And if you think of, okay, a website is our product, you look at, okay, well, what things need to be changed once a year? The copyright date on my website needs to be changed once a year. Should I build a tool for people, creators, to manage that content? Probably not. Do it once a year, just put it in code. We'll just push new code once a year, it's fine. But if I'm gonna change a part of my website every day, every week, a couple of times a day, well then there should be a tool for that to make that possible. So it's really about finding what things people need to do the most, those those strongly repeated loops, and then taking that process and making sure it goes from really hard to really easy, to go from really slow to really fast. So I don't think of myself as a content management person. 
I think of myself as a person who will build tools to make creative people more powerful so they don't hate their jobs and so they can be more effective so their businesses can grow. And if all my customers' businesses grow, my business grows. And it happens to have been content management. And, but, it, but also, I built brands that I've owned, right? Like I've been on both sides of the table a lot. So don't think of myself as that. But I am definitely a software guy. I'm not, gonna build, I'm not building hardware things. I'm not doing any of that. I'm definitely working on other people's hardware. So yeah, I, I build software that makes creative people more powerful. And often that's been CMSs. And some of mine have done really well. And I know a lot of other people who CMSs have done way better. Mm, all right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for this uh, conversation. And I love and, it. Oh yeah, that's 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 really nice. Yeah, I, I I appreciate this. Thank you very much again. And I, our our today's guest was Brian Alvi, CTO of WordPress VIP. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. If you like what you've just heard, don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. On the other hand, if you've got a question we haven't answered yet, feel free to reach out to us directly. Just go to awesomestudio.com forward slash contact. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode of the Awesome to Know podcast.